Hello everyone and welcome. Today's topic is a very, very pertinent one in the current climate. It's called Funding Your Franchise, Options in the Alternative Finance World. And for that, I've got one of the recognized uh, experts in this country, indeed, uh, internationally. Um, it's an important element for all of our businesses, whether you're looking at cash flow, whether you're looking at uh, recruiting franchises and funding them, whether you're looking at exiting a business, uh, growing cash flow, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. all very important. And it's great to be running through this with you because uh, the guest I have today, I think you'll find, is most knowledgeable. He's going to share a lot of information with you. Make sure you do have a pen and paper ready because I'm sure you'll want to take some notes. And remember, for the franchise simply members, this franchise radio show will be available with our other 84 um, podcasts in our members' vault. So um, uh, essentially, then. Um, today, I'm delighted to be introducing Jeff Sorman. Jeff wears three business hats. He's uh, a managing director of a specialist funder. He's a principal of a corporate advisory firm and the founding partner of an American-based property investment fund. Uh, he's accumulated a lot of experience and um, this combination of foibles and interests has led him to become a columnist, a commentator, speaker for the finance industry, an awards judge, and hence, an ideal keynote spoke speaker for, uh, for for us from our point of view. His, his focus and expertise um, today are really zoned in on financial services, investment and property businesses. Jeff's firm, BBBSA Finance, specializes in financing and provides corporate advice to franchise business with a base of recurring income who's thinking to leverage their growth opportunities. Uh, with us today, Jeff can share Deep knowledge with insights gained from over 25 years in executive roles at Goldman Sachs on Wall Street and in London and leading financial institutions in Sydney. Jeff knows well from first-hand experience what it takes to start, manage and indeed successfully buy and sell companies. He's done it several times himself. So, Jeff, delighted to have you here. Thank you, Brian, and good to be on the show with you. Um, now, I won't waste your time. We've got a lot to carry. To, to, to carry through because it's a fascinating topic. Well, I might just launch straight into it by saying uh, you know, today's an, an interesting time. Um, what does the backdrop look like for small and medium-sized businesses today? Brian, I can truly say that the tide is turning. Historically, franchises and small businesses were very reliant on a handful of banks for their primary funding requirements. Essentially, the big four dominated and the availability of funding, at least at a debt level, was somewhat restricted to those banks and their appetite. The tide is turning in that one tide is going out as we discover that the banks, for a combination of reasons, are becoming increasingly cautious about where they can uh, deploy funding and and also subject to more and more regulatory restrictions. But at the same time, a new wave of funders has emerged over the last few years. Uh, we, When we started our business in uh, seven years ago in 2011, we were one of a handful of what has become known as specialist funders or marketplace funders or peer-to-peer -peer funders 
or alternative lenders. There are a number of badges that are used to describe this new generation and breed of non-bank funders that have come in increasingly to fill the void uh, created either because banks never provided an alternative like is available today, or because when the banks retreat as they do, uh, rather than having everybody just left high and dry, there is a new source of, of, of liquidity and capital. And that's why it's an interesting time, because for those who see the change, uh, they see the opportunity. And for those that, that, that don't, they often find themselves sitting, you know, there's that expression, if I can keep belaboring uh, this analogy, that you only discover who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. And for some, they have been left naked because they've discovered that suddenly the tide has changed for them. So that's the backdrop, Brian. Right. Well, in our previous conversations, you've taught me there's, there's, there's two or three, three things, actually, three key things that business owners should consider when they're looking at funding for their businesses. Perhaps you could run through those for the listeners. Okay. So, so, so the first thing that I always encourage somebody to look at is not definitely the rate because there are there are funding that's available which uh, comes with a seemingly very few restrictions, very little security, but at a very high rate. Now, for some people, they reason that that's all that counts. If they can get money, they'll take it at any price. I think that you've got to make sure that the funding that you get not only is affordable, but the second thing that is that the tenor and the duration of that funding needs to match your requirements. If you've got long-term growth ambitions, you need a source of capital that is growth capital that you can draw on increasingly to hire staff to um to utilize for marketing, to acquire other businesses or franchises. You need the kind of funding that you know is going to be around as opposed to possibly people who start out innocently using their credit card, which is really intended as a short-term overdraft facility, and suddenly they discover they're up to their eyeballs in relatively expensive debt. So. The, 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 the one thing is to look at whether the funding mix that's available suits your business mix. The second one is to make sure that the funders that you're borrowing from actually have an appetite and, and a track record of staying in the market. Uh, there have been occasions in the past when offshore funders have come in in search of easy pickings or sensing that they could expand because their own domestic market was crowded. Then we have a global shakeout. Money is suddenly repatriated. And, uh, and, and, fund, and people who have grown reliant on, on those funders suddenly discover that the rug is, is pulled out from under their feet. And when you think about the world we live in today and uh, the trade wars that are starting to break out, uh, inspired by President Trump, you have to wonder about what impact that's going to have on 
on global funding. So second answer is look at what your funder's appetite is. And then third of all, look at your business and, and see have you prepared it properly so that you're going to take on what can be sometimes a time-consuming exercise to obtain the funding? Are you ready, mature enough, have the processes and systems in place, have the information so that you can go about getting it in the most streamlined fashion? Those are three things that I would suggest to anybody they should look at. Right. Uh, when you're in the process, perhaps we could give some uh, listeners a bit of guidance. When you're preparing to actually apply, if you've selected, you know, maybe a small tranche of funders you want to approach, or maybe you've isolated one, um, you mentioned you need to have, you know, financial documents. What else do you need to be able to present to a, a prospective lender so that you could be shown to be authentic and credible and so forth? So, so I'm often astonished when. When we are approached uh, for funding, there's a, there are two camps. Those that are well prepared, and in being well prepared, leave a positive impression with our credit team, and those who seem to be haplessly lost. And what do I mean by that? At the end of the day, any funder worth their salt is going to want to know what are your most recent financials like? Are your BAF statements up to date? Can we see your most recent tax returns? Do you have a, a spreadsheet with different cash flows? Can I see your management accounts in an, in an easily usable accounting package that we can look at? Do you have copies of your franchise agreement? Do you have a, um, the requisite insurances and registrations? All of those things. and. Different parties require different things. We we are what's termed a low doc lender, so we tend to look at a little bit less. But but still, when people come along and they don't have that information and they stare at you blankly and they say, look, we'll go away, we'll prepare it, and it's often months until they get it back, uh, we often go, well, what does that tell you about how they're running their business today? Are they really on top of things? And it leaves a negative impression. So arrive at the party well prepared. Right, right. And I guess, I mean, being well scripted, they've got to present to you. So they need to be, they need to be able to articulate, I suppose, the reasons behind their need for funding. Yes, but, but I'll, I'll warn you about something else that we've seen. Some people think that giving too much is the answer. This is not a psychologist's couch. We don't need them to present all and sundry and, and, and uh, we, we have a list of what's required. And often it's much more streamlined if they simply provide us what we require. We cross-check and what we know we've got everything. Let's get down to it. Sometimes people provide so much that the, that the people that, that so much time is lost waiting through going, what is this? Why have I got this? What relevance is there? Just let them ask the questions and, and, and provide information in response to what's been asked. Don't try to anticipate, don't try to guess, and don't blanket bomb the funder with, with, with useless, irrelevant information that does more to confuse and slow down than benefit. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So ask ask the lender what they need. Get a list and tick off the boxes and basically there you go. 
right. Yep. Um, so, so looking beyond that, when we look at people's business um, uh, from the point of view of, of franchising, um, why? Perhaps you could tell us why the business model is vital to making the business oh. val- valuable and, and, and accessible, particularly with a franchise, from your point of view. Brian, I can't stress enough how a franchise model, particularly in the case of lenders like ourselves, we lend first and foremost against the recurring revenues that exist in a franchise. Now, some franchisees live hand to mouth. In other words, they go out and they perform a service or provide a product once. They get paid, and if that customer likes the service or requires a a top-up or a refill, they might get an order a few years later. I'm not saying that's a bad business because if they have enough customers, um, they might make enough money, but there's no predictability and certainty. So while some may lend against it, we look for a recurring nature where the person who's buying the service or the product is paying on an ongoing basis, either some kind of annuity or recurring income. They're entering into a, an agreement for somebody to come out and for the next year or so provide them the services. Then our job becomes, well, what's their track record of holding on to those clients? Do they have disputes where they've agreed to come out every month and you know do X and they've got the resources, they've got the manpower, they've got the equipment, and they've got a track record of providing them. Therefore, it's no problem. And we can take that executional operational risk and as opposed to taking sales risk that they'll be out there making a new sale. And, and every month when they open the doors, there's no new business. It's all new business because essentially they don't know what's coming in. We like business models and franchise arrangements that are predictable and where we can see that over time, the franchisee is building what we call a river of gold or an annuity stream. And if those type of franchises are looking for money, we are a good address because we like it. If they're not, we usually say you need to go somewhere else. Right. So would a typical business that meets your criteria be, for example, a swimming pool maintenance business that uh, every two weeks goes to visit somebody's premises, whether it's a school or a or a hotel or a private dwelling, they've got an agreement, they go there on a recurring basis, um, and so they're there on a, on a long-term contract. Would that meet your criteria? Yes, absolutely. If we, Because we'd look at the agreement and we'd see, ah, this local council has had the municipal pool contract and they've signed up for a year, they've been signing up for the last three years, they're clearly happy with the service, and they are they have the financial resources to to pay. Whereas if somebody else had a swimming pool maintenance business, but they were letterbox dropping homes in neighborhoods, they got a one-off cleaning job because they provided a discounted service as an intro, but there was not that they just got paid whenever they got a phone call, 
there's no saying that they're going to get the phone call again. And that's, that can both be in the same industry, both providing the same service, but the business model of the former is far preferable from a lending point of view to the latter. That was a big tip there, people, that uh, it's worth getting people to sign up contracts on an annual basis. It may well come to be your, your to your benefit at a later stage. Thanks for the clarity on that, Jeff. Tell me, when, when you, we've heard about the financials and the franchise agreements and the documentation, but what about the individuals? What characteristics do you look for when you're deciding whether or not to make a loan? So we, we look at the three C's. The first C is collateral. What kind of security is being provided by that franchisee? I mean, businesses like like many franchises, they may not be bricks and mortar. The banks have been traditionally bricks and mortar lenders. We look at it and we look at what's there, but but really we have to rely on the recurring cash flow, which I've just described in your last question. So that first C is why it's so important to have those contracts and some predictability of earnings. The second thing we look at is the credit quality. How's the business doing? Is it steadily losing money? Has it ever made a profit? Is it cash flow positive? What's its history of paying of debts? We look at those things to see what kind of borrower we've got because we're lending to, we're a business lender. We lend to businesses. But the third C, which is your question, is we look at the character of the individual. Are they people, and again, if it's a one-person operation, and that one person is who runs the, the pool cleaning business, and that one person is it, and something happens to them, and I've seen this with dog-washing franchises, and I've seen it with, 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 with carpet cleaning, the principal takes ill, and that's it. There's not, nobody left to run the business, and the cash flow dries up. But if, it's, if, it's a, 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 if the principals are a team, a family, a, 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 some partners, then you've already got the makings of just more than a sole proprietor. Then you look at how long they've been doing it. Were they a furniture removalist last week, a lawn mowing business this week, a fast food franchise the next week and the grass is always greener or do they have a real track record and a passion and a love for being in that industry and have they taken advantage of the franchise model that gives them a turnkey solution but grown and developed and have they been orderly at running it and what are their references like in the industry and what does their franchisor or their BDM or their account manager say about them those, those character elements are the important final C. And this is one of those industries where, unlike school, you have to get three Cs to get an A. You, you, that's how you get the highest grades, is by getting three very good Cs makes you an A-plus student. Right. <laughs> I like the analogy. Tell me, <clears throat> let, let's look at the, the other side now. Um, if, if you're looking to develop and perhaps sell your business, um, perhaps in, in looking at that from your point of view, your observations, you're well positioned to do this. When's the right time to start preparing for a sale? Yesterday. In other Yesterday. words, the day before you started the business. 
I always tell my clients, when you go into a business or an industry, look at it and go, um, are you going to spend the rest of your life wearing out your shoe leather? Or can you see that if you're successful, that there's going to be a likely buyer or queue of buyers who would like to buy a business like yours? And if they are, then you can already identify who the most likely purchases are. Is there consolidation in your industry? Are there other franchisees who are trying to own multiple stores or outlets or territories who would look at yours as a successful one and want that? Um, because if it is, you, you don't want to regard them as hostile enemies. Rather, you want to build a relationship with them over years so that one day when you make the call saying, I've decided to hang up my shingle and we're, we're looking to sell and we thought you'd be interested, they go, I'd love to buy something from you. Uh, not dissimilar to somebody who buys a car and the neighbor has always liked the look of the car. It's a reliable model and they see they clean it and they look after it and they chatty to their neighbors. When they come to sell it, that neighbor who coveted it for years might well be the most likely purchaser and you don't have to go out and advertise too widely. I, I encourage people to think about it from day one and that's certainly how I've always approached uh, starting, building and selling my businesses. Makes a lot of sense. So um, I suppose from that point of view, um, okay, you, you're ahead of, ahead of time, you've you know there's something you need to be prepared for. So what do you need to actually do there when you do reach the stage where you, you go into the market? We're going to talk to your neighbor or your competitor or whoever. What do you, what do you need to prepare yourself with, Jeff? Many of the same information sets that you would want to provide to a, a potential fund or a bank uh, so that the person coming in can, can show it to their accountants, show it to their lawyers, and make themselves comfortable so they see you're well organized and what they're being asked to pay for has real substance. So sometimes having a, a pain finance provides a discipline which, whilst it can be a pain in the butt at the beginning, becomes second nature and later on stands you in good stead. And in fact, if your business is bankable, it's even more reason why when somebody's looking to buy it, They've got a higher chance of being able to obtain funding. So we often fund incoming buyers of existing uh, franchises because uh, we're already comfortable with the collateral and the credit. And now our character check is what's the person like who's, who's looking to acquire. We've only got one C left to, to work on. So in, right. in terms of, of preparation, make sure that's the thing. Number two, make sure that don't be short term, don't be stupid about things. If you if you make long term decisions about what you do in the interest of your business, how you treat your staff, how you treat your customers, at the end of the day, I was always brought up on on a on a maxim that your customer is always right, even when they're wrong. Because if you, you might win the fight once off but is it going to do you more reputational long-term damage? 
obviously, if somebody does the wrong thing by you and they don't pay their bills and they're stupid, that's one thing. But if you've gone out and performed a service and you think you've done a good job and they're particularly petty or picky about something not right, that you can fix it. Even though it's going to cost you a little bit more, take a little longer, I always advocate do it because you'll see it back in the goodwill you obtain when you come to sell. And that's often a multiple of your one-times uh, you know, revenues that you might lose on that particular client. So take a long-term yeah. view around those quality standards. Make sure that you've got all your documentation ready. And also make sure that you've built a business that's bigger than you are. In other words, if, this, if everything is about Kevin and Kevin's business and it's all things Kevin, well, if Kevin leaves, the new person may not be able to pull Kevin's shoes. But if, if the beauty of a franchise is that if it's part of a good process and a good model, somebody's going to be comfortable that they too could fill it and that Kevin doesn't have to be the face and the name of it, but John or Jane or anybody else could equally fulfill that, that role. Makes a lot of sense. So really, you're saying make sure you've got your culture right from the start and cultivate it. And, Correct. And, and, Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So one thing we have spoken about, Jeff, and I appreciate your views on this, if you could expand them. Um, uh, how do I know I'm emotionally ready to sell? When, when, is, when is somebody at the right stage emotionally? I know you've got some, some strong feelings on that. Yes, and, 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 and because we see people with, with seller's remorse. Selling should really be done when you're ready for a change because you've reached another phase of life or because of life circumstances or because you, the, the joy has gone out of, of the business for you. If you've worked yourself to the bone and for 10 years you haven't taken a holiday and you are bone weary and you're going to sell the business and what you're going to get for it is not going to give you enough to retire. And then you're going to be out three months later searching desperately for something else, thinking the grass is greener on the other side. And with the pressure of having not enough to live on, you've not done yourself a service. You really just needed a good vacation and recharge your batteries. But if you've reached a life stage where you're ready for retirement. If ill health of yourself or your loved one has reached a point where you can no longer work. If you've cultivated something that you really are ready to move on to so you have something else and you want to change, not because you just want to get out, you've got to have something to go to as well as something to leave, then I think it makes a lot of sense. And of course, finally, if the business has been one where it's financially it just isn't earning a return from you because it's not right for you or you're not right for it and you haven't had the passion, you've given it a good go, then sometimes it's better to cut your losses and get what you can and let somebody else who might be better suited have a, have a proper crack at it with you know, fresh energy. Yeah, I certainly witness that quite frequently. It's a reality of life, isn't it? Sometimes people might buy a business and find it, in actual fact, shock horror, 
it doesn't really suit them. It's not not what their mm-hmm. perception was. And uh, yeah, the best thing is yeah, tidy your camp up, get yourself prepared, and move on. But uh, mm-hmm. you need to do it in a positive framework. I, I appreciate your your comment, seller's remorse. Uh, I'm always uh, mentioning to people about buyer's remorse, but uh, <laughs> the other side of the fence <laughs> is equally equally as important. Um, Jeff, um, we've been going for a long time, but I, I've actually finished with the questions that I really had down here. I wonder, is there more you'd like to add? Um, I appreciate your knowledge is so broad. I don't want to uh, take too much of your time, but uh, I, I, I would only I would only add one final point, Brian, and that is I so strongly advocate that people find themselves an independent advisor when it comes to selling. Somebody who's gone through the process many times before, but also somebody who's objective and can have an objective sense of what the business might be worth. Sometimes that's an accountant. Sometimes that's a lawyer. Sometimes it's a business broker. Sometimes it's an advisory group. But if you're serious about selling, I'm a lawyer by by by, uh, by training, and I, I was always taught that only a, a, a fool takes themselves for a client. If you choose to yeah. self-defend, and you may not have a choice. If your business is too small and you don't have the financial resources, you may need to sell it. But the number of people that that go at this thinking, well, I've never sold them before. How hard can it be? And then become too emotionally involved in, in, in asking too much. Miss out on, on fine points. Uh, I, I reviewed a contract today where somebody had been involved in a negotiation. They came to us for finance and they said originally they're going to negotiate the whole purchase and then could they come and borrow some money so they could do it? We said, fine. The agreement came back. And perhaps they saved themselves $500 or three, two or $3,000 in legal fees. But it was honestly unbankable. And what they had done, and it broke my heart to read it, in a bid to save themselves a little bit of money, you could quite clearly see where between themselves and, 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 the, and the other party, they had taken some other agreement and tried to cobble in clauses, some which had been appallingly drafted by somebody who wasn't a lawyer, and others where the party's names and, and, and the relationships had been confused so that the warranties and guarantees were circular, they went nowhere. It became unbankable. So what this person has done is to effectively shoot themselves in both feet. And I'm sure they were well-intentioned. And so I say the same thing when it comes to selling or buying. Unless you really know what you're doing. If that's not your stock in trade, get yourself somebody involved who is so that they can guide you. Because it's not every day you get to buy or to sell your business. Use somebody, particularly in franchising world, who has a lot of experience and can help you dissect and understand the franchise agreement so you understand what you're letting yourself in for. And equally, if it comes to, to selling, helps you to, to be realistic about what you can 
realistically expect. Otherwise, you can waste a lot of time that you could otherwise spend working, making money in the business. That's my thoughts for you, Brian, and I hope that helps you and your listeners. Absolutely. Now, um, Jeff, I know you've got a lot of resources. Um, perhaps you could give us an indication of where any listeners can go to, to access those. Um, you've got information on your website, and you also have the opportunity, yes. I think, of speaking to one of your one of your team. Absolutely. Look, what I would always say is the first point of call, jump on the internet, www.triplebbbbsa.com.au. We've got a whole lot of videos on our site that are educational and help people. It'll give you a flavor. It's got registration forms if you want somebody to speak to. And we always promise that, you know, within half an hour, we will be able to tell you on the space of a, of a confidential conf- a call whether we can help and if so, how. And if we can't and we can refer you to somebody else, we will because we all have to coexist. And uh, if that's of help to your uh, listeners, we're happy to help. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'll share those details uh, when we circulate the copy of the program. Um, but also, just like to say, Jeff, thank you very much indeed. As ever, frank, uh, direct, straightforward, but incredibly resourceful. I really appreciate your time and your, and your, uh, your contribution and uh, look forward to speaking with you again. So at this point, uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks. Not at all. So in closing, um, basically, thank you for everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the uh, this particular franchise radio show, and I look forward to being with you again soon with our next interview.